Hey everybody, welcome to the Bloody Awesome Movie Podcast. I'm John Burke from BurkeReviews.com, and with me from across the pond, the Kingsman to my statesman, is Matt Hudson from WhatIWatchTonight.co.uk. Matt, how's it going, sir? Very well, my friend. I wish I looked like Taron Egerton, but you certainly do look like Channing Tatum, so uh, there's always that. But I'm doing well, my friend. It's unseasonably warm over here for autumn slash fall. It hit 34 degrees, 33 degrees today, which is about 90-something, which for us is unheard of, but... Other than that, matey, yeah, I'm doing doing good. I'm looking forward to chatting about this film tonight. But before that, I want to know how you are. I am doing well. Uh, it is hot outside, but not too bad, actually. I guess for Florida, it's 88 degrees right now, which is, you know, uh, for like middle of September is, is not too shabby. Um, I did just get in from walking and it, it was quite hot while I was walking. So, um, but, you know, it is what it is. Uh, you mentioned the movie we're here to talk about this week, and it is a sequel um, from the Netflix film from what was it, 2017? The Babysitter came out. I think it was 2017, yeah. And so now 2020, we get the Babysitter colon Killer Queen, um, and well, it says two years after, so I guess it was 2018. The the or at least the premise of the film says two years after. Um, but that is a. Uh, ultimately what we're here to look at this week um for the for bamp and it is let's look at the the numbers if you will so it's directed by mick g which hmm, right <laughs> just the, the name i i you know like when i was younger i liked the uh the charlie's angel movies i haven't seen them in years um mm-hmm. i don't know if they hold better up than, than the new one i still haven't watched the new one uh but yeah. i own it um i got <laughs> yeah. it for free for seeing I technically I bought a ticket, but I wasn't able to go. So mm-hmm. I, I, I got the free digital copy though. And I just haven't made it to it, but, um, but yeah, so Mick G, you know, he's, he's a guy whose name is Mick G. Yeah. I mean, that's all you need to know about Mick G. He's like in his fifties now and he's called Mick G. It's like those DJs who have these really, they really sweet like MC blast and they're like 65 years old. But. Yeah, and so I'm like, is he MCG? And we're just, you know, <laughs> calling him McG. Um, but it's no, it's lowercase C, so it's definitely McG. But uh, written by Dan, uh, oh, it's always a good sign when there's several writers. Um, so uh, it's written by Dan Lagana, Brad Morris, Jimmy Warden, McG, and based on characters by Brian Duffy, Duffield, who I'm assuming wrote the first film um, because of that. But uh, credited cast, we got Judah Lewis returning, Samara Weaving, Jenna Ortega. Emily Allen Lind, Andrew Bachelor, Robbie Amell, Bella Thorne, Hannah May Lee, Ken Marino, and Leslie Bibb, um, all mostly returning. I think maybe one or two of those are new. Um, But, and then two years after uh, Cole survived a satanic blood cult, he's living another nightmare, high school. And the demons from his past, question mark, still making his life hell. Uh, Has a 22 on uh, Metascore um, from Metacritic and a 40 Rotten Tomato critic score, but a 69 audience score. And I thought that was uh, worthy to note. The audience doesn't seem to dislike it as much. I don't know how the audience score works um, for a Netflix original. I, I guess with Rotten Tomato, that isn't – it's not a cinema score. So I guess that is a, a Rotten Tomato audience score is, I guess, the audience reviews, like who take the time to actually go to RT.com and, 
and write something. But I think so because audience reviews for theatrical films don't you have to like validate that you've actually seen the film, like a picture of your ticket or a stub or something? Whereas obviously you can't do that on I Netflix. I believe so. So I guess it's just a uh, free reign. I guess that you could just show a um, like a picture of the movie on Netflix, like on your TV, maybe. You like, could try. Um, I, I guess I don't know. Maybe they don't have that requirement, but uh, I thought it was still worthy of note that the fans seem to not dislike it as much as the critics. Um, and I guess that is going to boil down to where do we fall? Are we fans or are we critics in this film's uh, <laughs> kind of review? Now, it's um, before we get into the Babysitter Killer Queen, we should note. We do not spoil the film that we're reviewing uh, because it's new. Uh, we tend to review something right as it comes out. So it's, this is more of a general review. However, if you haven't seen The Babysitter, there may be inherent spoilers to that film because this is a sequel. So to talk about the plot of this film, we will have to talk about The Babysitter. So if you haven't watched The Babysitter on Netflix, um, you should pause this, go watch it, come back, and then maybe watch both and then listen to this, or you can just watch babysitter and then listen to see if you should bother with the sequel or not. Um, with that in mind, I kind of want to do a double review real fast okay. because I had not seen the babysitter before. So I had to watch it first before I was going to watch the babysitter killer queen. And um, there was no reason I hadn't watched it. It just never like, it was like on my radar for a little bit, but not like people weren't talking about it enough that I was like, I was right. It was 2017. Um, so, I'm looking at the the thing now. Um, I have become a Samara Weaving fan over the last mm-hmm. year, uh, basically be- between Bill and Ted's uh, Bill and Ted Face the Music, and um, I really I was a big fan of um, what was it? Ready Hide or not? Don't that was great. Ready or not? I was. It was so great. I was so like blown away by that movie because I was really like I went in kind of like oh boy this is going to be something, and then I I thought it was great. Um, and specifically, I thought she was great. I thought she just really made the movie. And so um, when I realized that she was in The Babysitter and that there was a sequel coming out, I was like, well, why not, right? So um, I I liked Babysitter. Uh, I was definitely engaged with it. I thought, um, again, I really thought her performance was really strong. I am a fan of um, most of the other cast members in that movie. I like, I like Robbie Amell from, uh, um, I forget what show he was on, but he's cousins to Stephen Amell, who is Arrow on the uh, CW's yeah. Arrow. And so I, oh, and he's on the, he's in the Duff, which I think is an underrated, like rom-com coming of age. I bow to your knowledge on that one. Um, Okay. Uh, I I think it's pretty good. It's not, it's not amazing, but they're, they do some stuff in that one that's different. Right. Um, And then, you know, I I wouldn't say I'm a fan of Bella Thorne, but I know who she is. Uh, I do like May. um, Hannah May Lee. Hannah May Lee, but only because of Pitch Perfect Mm -hmm. 1 and 2. Um, I like to pretend Pitch Perfect 3 doesn't exist. So. Not um, and I don't know. It, yeah, it's it's not good either. Um, but and I don't know. I guess Andrew Bachelor is the other member of the group yep. in the Babysitter. Uh, I have not seen him in anything um, that I recognize him from, at least. And um, but I, I enjoy. Oh, I lied. He's into all the boys I loved before, which I have seen. But um, but I've not seen any of his other movies, so I'm right about the rest. Uh, but um i i enjoyed it i thought it was it's was solid you know I, I tend to like horror comedies which is where i would kind of yeah. put that movie you know it's um the horror is uh actually some of the effects were pretty good i thought in the first one like i thought there was like a few moments a few deaths that i was like wow that's that's pretty uh pretty impressive for this netflix movie um i i, I thought the performances were there and i, I like 
uh, the, my one complaint, Matt, about yeah. the first movie, and I don't mean to be cruel, but I think it was due to Lewis. I, I didn't didn't really vibe with him. Um, I quite liked him in the movie. first movie. See, I, I, it's, and now, okay, I'm a fan of yes. Demolition, which a lot of people do in not like film, that movie. Not I don't understand Demolition. it. I thought it was great. <laughs> Right, right. Um, and then I really disliked Summer of 84. Uh, a lot of people really loved that movie. I found it... Hmm. A lot of people did. Uh, I feel I am definitely in the minority there. I was not into it. Um, and uh, I don't remember for sure if it was him that I disliked or not. I just remember not liking the movie. Um, I gave it a two-star rating on Letterboxd, actually, just to uh, further my point. Um, but I, you know, I just... It just didn't click with me. And honestly, a lot of it should have clicked with me and it just didn't. And, um, he's in the Christmas Chronicles, So I guess he's the, the boy in that, which I don't, I feel like I liked him in that movie. So I guess I'm up and down on him. And again, I didn't, by the end of the babysitter, I didn't mind him. It was the initial couple of scenes where I was like, Oh man, I don't know if I can take this kid in this movie. (laughs) I liked the first babysitter. I'm going to just to, basically do a john i'll preface the review by basically just up top saying i had a blast with the first with the babysitter came out of nowhere i'd seen people online saying you know what this is pretty fun pretty cool a couple of people i worked with who knew i was the film guy said if you watch this and i said i'll tell you straight up i've never heard of it so they said go ahead go watch it tonight watch it tonight so i did and i was like this is great this is great fun um samara weaving was extremely good that was my first exposure to samara weaving and uh, I did obviously I did make the quip that she put the babe in the babysitter, but you know three years ago writing has come on a lot since then. But I've really did quite enjoy that first film, and I'm not going to lie, I also didn't realise there was a sequel coming out so soon. But I was, you know, quite optimistic that I was going to enjoy this second film. But um, is that the first film? I've got seventy two percent on Rotten Tomatoes, so just below fresh. It's still it's a uh, certified. Sorry. And 61 for the audience score. So the audience score is pretty similar, but the, the critics seem to like the first one an awful lot more than the second one. Mm-hmm. And um, I would say, I would say I, I side with that. I definitely think the first one is a better overall movie, mm-hmm. but I do think as a sequel. Um, okay. So I wish this movie felt smarter because it seems to be kind of mocking sequels and yet it's not mocking the sequel. It just does like, it's like, Hey, you know, some movies, the, the second one just rehashes the first movie. What if we literally rehash the first movie and we bring back all the characters mm-hmm. in some way? And it's like, I guess, I don't know if it was necessary to bring everybody back. Right. Like, cause I just read the cast and it is the same cast from that first movie with, uh, Emily Allen Lynn taking a bigger role in this movie. Mm-hmm. And then Jenna Ortega, who is new um, to the new character, completely new character. Um, And uh, so overall, I thought the movie, um, it felt similar. Uh, It didn't quite have, I didn't think it was as, I don't know, this one felt like it was trying to be funny, where the first one just was funny. Mm-hmm. You know, like this one felt like, like, ah, we're kind of making fun of ourselves and we're mocking. Remember this? You laughed at the first movie. It's like, yeah, sequel, but I don't, I have the first movie still. Like you don't have to redo it because the first one's still here. We can just watch the first one to get that joke. 
So doing it again and then laughing at yourself for doing it again isn't really creative or interesting. Um, it is, it's like filmmakers put Easter eggs in their movies of their other movies. And that's fun for us. But like, we don't usually want you to point out like, Hey, look, here's the Easter egg. Like we get it. We get that. It's an East calm yourself, McG, um, and, and writers who had no new ideas. Like, (laughs) you know, um, it's, it's not bad. And I actually thought Judah, um, other than the, the, okay. Do you think the corduroy suit that he was wearing to high school is one of McGee's suits? Because to me, it just screamed McGee. Like, I was like, I don't know anything about McGee, but mind you, I, I, I knew the name. I've heard people make jokes about him. I just, in my head, I totally can see a director named McGee wearing a corduroy suit. Like, I just, it just makes sense. Especially that colour. And I'm glad you mentioned the suit. Because uh, looking at Judah Lewis on Google, he's wearing a a, bla- a some sort of, almost like a tweed blazer. So maybe it is his own fashion. But when I was watching it, I did think, you know, I know the the films themselves are, are quirky and a bit out different. But I was like, Judah Lewis's character is cold, dresses like a right weirdo, a complete oddball. Who wear? I don't know. I mean, I don't. I don't see people dressed like that over here unless they really are going to the craft beer. Um, micro part bars, but I don't really see people dressed like that. So it must be a McGee thing. And you know, one of my other issues is the premise of this movie is that um, the events of the first movie, everybody thinks he's made up. Yeah. And yet it's two years later. So for two years, they've allowed him to like, cause all of a sudden there's a ticking clock on him that they're going to send him to a mental institution. Mm-hmm. But it's like, for two years, you tolerated it as though it was normal, and now there's a ticking clock? What's changed so much in two years that suddenly it's urgent that he goes to a mental home? like And apparently a psychiatric high school, which I'm pretty sure is not real. But <laughs> um, but fine. That, uh, I can, you know, that, that's in the world of the film, fine. But again, why, why two years later? Like, it, it just doesn't, like... It felt inorganic. It felt like they were like, well, two years have passed, so it has to have been two years mm-hmm. because he's he, he's very much more grown up than he was in the first yeah, movie, right? He, like, he, he doesn't look like a high school kid to me in the first movie. He looks like a, like a middle school kid, which works because that's kind of the joke, right? Is that he's a high yeah. school kid who still has a babysitter. Okay, he doesn't even look like a high school kid. Now he looks like a high school kid. Um, so, yeah, I get that you have to have aged him. Okay, then come up with another catalyst. It doesn't have to be that he's being sent away. You know what I mean? Like, he's a weirdo. No one's believed him, so now he lives in shame. But, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, there's this this element of it that feels like you're trying to fulfill that script need of having the ticking clock. Mm-hmm. And, again, that's not a spoiler, listeners. This is That's the setup of the movie. That's what gets the actual events going in the film, um, is that he, he finds out his parents are planning on sending him to a, a mental institution because he's not getting any better. He's still doubting it. I'm just like... I don't know. I don't buy that. It took two years to get to that point. Like I would think after a couple of months, the kid's still saying, and he was, you know, his babysitter was part of a satanic cult and he witnessed the murder and there's no evidence to support any of that, that they would have already sent him somewhere. Right. Like maybe this should be him coming home from that institution or something. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. We'd think that would be the case. The, on that, on that note, um, I found that the, his portrayal, before I say what I thought about it, but I thought the character of Cole had a very strange kind of, not an arc, but the way he was written, like you've just said, it starts off, uh, as you mentioned, where he is, uh, he's in this particular zone where 
he spent the last two years of people thinking that his absurd story about killer babysitters and satanic cults was all a load of hoopla. And then during the film, he because so he kind of think, okay, that's his character now. He's he's getting bullied, and that's where his character's going to be. But then he kind of changes into this like hero, and then kind of and again, these aren't spoilers, but but he he kind of flip flops between, oh yeah, he he was bullied. No, now he's not. Now oh, let's let, let's let's reintroduce that again. Oh no no let's let, let let's make him more solid now. They flip flops an awful lot with the portrayal of um with of Cole in this film. That's what I will say. But I agree with you though. Obviously, film logic dictates that they need to have something. They need to fill the. I like that they had the continuation. Like the first film was twenty seventeen. I'm assuming this was filmed in twenty nineteen. So you've got two years yeah. there. I like that. Fine. Like the in universe time. But like you said, if they could have just used a better catalyst or having him come, having spent time at this. Now, high school rehab, whatever it's called, fine. You know, then then you've got that. You can play off that maybe, but it also explains why he's home and people might still don't believe him, even though he's gone to seek help for his apparent uh, quote unquote issues. It probably would have made it a bit more cohesive. But um, the screenwriter for the babysitter, Brian Duffield, he didn't come back for this one, and McGee had himself and three other screenwriters. So for me, that's the problem in terms yeah. of why. There's the tonally, it's a bit off. The jokes aren't quite as snappy, um, and even the dialogue itself isn't quite as you know, like it's not got a sharp. I mean, the first film was you know never wasn't gonna was never gonna win any Oscars for screenwriting, but it was sharp, yeah. it was snappy, it worked well. Here though, it is a, a very inconsistent, and that is down to those four people I think writing the script. I agree, and I also think that there's a maybe like an odd like there's a dark comedy element to that first um first movie and there is there's some sentimentality to the first movie but like overall it, it's it's not it didn't feel like it was trying to have like this emotional catharsis in the first film and i feel like this one really reaches for it and I, without getting into like how or why um but i feel like it really wants to have this emotional like through line that i just don't feel like it earns like it it yeah and it's not that it's wrong, but it's like, really, though? And It's playing um, up to fans of the first film very much, isn't it? Yeah, like, hard. And it's like, it's almost like a, like, you didn't, maybe, like, if you didn't like how the first film ended, maybe you'll prefer the tonal shift of this ending. And I don't mm-hmm. know that it works. Um, it's not bad. I, I don't feel like, I, that's the thing, I don't feel like this is bad. I just don't think it's as as good as the first one, and that's not uncommon for a sequel, right? Like this, no, it's not. This, it, and even for a Netflix original, which this one is like a true original, this isn't one of those where it's like on the film and it's on a film festival circuit and Netflix buys it. This is, I think, mm-hmm. made for Netflix. A lot of those are not great. I think this one; these are both good. Like I think they're both. I think they're both very entertaining. I think the first one is better in a lot of ways, especially in the uh, the writing feels a lot more consistent in the first film. And I, again, I think a lot of the second film is relying on moments from the first film in order to exist. Like there's jokes in this movie that would not happen Mm -hmm. if the first film didn't have them. So like to really, it's not just like based on characters that the guy wrote. It's like, we, we took full scenes and re rehashed them uh, because we couldn't come up with anything new. And that's, you know, again, that's something that happens in a lot of sequels. And where I feel like they could have gone bigger is if they did something like Scream did, where you kind of are making meta commentary on the horror genre and how horror sequels often get worse and stupider, then that's even, especially as a horror comedy, there's a, a 
a well to draw from, right? Mm-hmm. And they don't seem to be aware that they could do that. Like it feels like they're completely oblivious to the fact that they're they could mess on tropes and do that because it, it doesn't seem like they they're aware of all of the things they're walking into and that's a shame because i think it's a missed opportunity for the jokes and for the movie to really uh you know punch above its weight class you know really have something to say about the the genre and instead it's just like okay we're just going to do the stuff that you liked in the first film again like literally again and uh, again it's uh, well acted it's it's pretty real well performed i do think i'm not 100 percent on this maybe i i did notice one thing though that kind of bugged me is cool. Bella Thorne's character. Uh, just just Bella have... Thorne's character. Oh, okay, there's more. <laughs> no. Did she have a septum piercing in the first movie? I don't know, because she did look different in this film, didn't she? Yeah, I don't think she did. And I know that in real life, I believe she does have the septum piercing. Yeah. And so, but my thing is, it's like, again, we said we we're going to spoil the first film. So just deal with this. All of the people died in the first film, for sure. Yeah, apart from Cole. Apart from Cole and apart from the babysitter, because there is that they they do the very classic like the monster. You think the monster's dead? Cut back. The monster's not where it is, so you don't really know what happened, kind of thing, right? And Melanie but, as well. Yeah. So the premise of this movie is that all the people who tried to kill Cole in the first film have come back through like a satanic ritual, which makes sense because it's a satanic cult. But they're not like back back. The implication is that they're like they've been dead. And they're here for like one night only as a chance of redemption. So in that two year time that they're trying to keep everything grounded in reality, the dead cheerleader got a septum piercing. Boring in hell, man. Must go, gotta do something. But you know, again, Ah. it's a silly nitpick, but like they even, she's wearing literally the same outfit Mm -hmm. and all of them are because that's, I guess the, they died in that. So they come back in those clothes yet. She has a septum piercing that again, maybe I'm wrong. But I am fairly confident she did not have. I'm actually going to search it while you tell me what you thought of the Killer Queen. Um, I do you know what? I, despite everything I've just said, I still had a very good time with this film. I'm not going to say it was the best film I've ever seen, and I I know people hate that phrase, and so do I, because not everything needs to be. But do you know what? I had a good time with this film for all of its flaws, uh, of which you have just mentioned. The script, of course, was it was inconsistent because of having so many different writers coming on and giving their own style. The recurring characters did seem to just be rehashing almost like a greatest hits tour from the first film. The um, the location kind of the first film was very much a single location film mm-hmm. for the most part. It's just in that one house, and it worked for that reason. This one goes a little bit bigger in the sense that it's more on a it's set outside. I put it like that. Um, this was a little bit bigger, like sequels tend to do. So the first film worked better because it did have that inherent danger of just being almost locked in a house with a satanic cult, whereas this one you've got slightly more room for wiggle room. So I, so I like the idea of them going bigger, but I did like the, the more isolated location or feeling of the first film. Um, as for the characters, they are what they are. I always I, I love Robbie Amo's character, Max. That guy, even in the first film, the shirtless Max made mm-hmm. me laugh the whole time. There's one scene, no spoilers, where he has a name badge on. Yeah, he still has no shirt on. Yeah, I yeah died. it's so good. I it's died so watching funny. that. I was like, because this is incredible. And you know what I mean? If if I look like that, I'd pin things through my chest to show the world as well. But um, I th- I thought, like, I think Jenna Ortega, I mean, hell, she's on a roll at the minute. She's in this. She's just been cast in Scream 5. 
Uh, Jurassic uh, World Camp Cretaceous, whatever it's called, which is getting boss reviews. Netflix. Yeah, she's in that, and that's getting really good reviews. And she's in an awful, an awful lot of other stuff as well, like you and things like that. So, you know, she's an up and coming star. I think she's good in this. I think she helps anchor the film somewhat. Yeah, it's look, it's it's over the top horror comedy fun. You know, if uh, there's so many references in this film which are cool for horror fans, but so many which I felt dated just watching it two days ago. I was like, oh man, that, that, that literally that st- thing you just mentioned happened like a month ago and it already feels dated now. So that's always the problem. But I don't know, it, it reminded me of like the old Evil Dead films. It's like, like, this is like a fun horror romp comedy. And this one goes more, whereas the first one, like you say, had a dark comedy to it. This one felt more like comedy horror almost um, yeah. compared to the first one. But I'm not going to lie. I had a good time with this. I sat down, I laughed. I I dug the characters, I dug the situation, whilst also thinking this is, you know, this may not be quite as good as the first film, and all the reasons we've just given, which could be classed as a negative. But if you're going to ask me, look, did I, did you watch this and enjoy it? Absolutely, man. Which it's now I know how people who liked Happy Death Day felt because I didn't like those films. But See, everyone, I love. Them. But you love. Them. I love the first one. I love the first one. The second one, I, I'm like, all right, fine. But the first one, I love, and I wasn't expecting to love the first one. And I, I, I like horror comedy in general. Um, and uh, I, you know, and that's the thing. I, I don't dislike this movie either. I, I think it's fine. I do think there's like there's. I think what bugs me about it more than anything is that it could be better because, like, there's so the talent here is is really strong. Mm-hmm. Um. And like you said, like some of the jokes are really good. Some are really dumb and they do go a little too big. Uh, They go a little too big with some of the, the, the kills and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's not that it's bad. It's just, again, it's like, you know, it's stupid while you're watching it, but it's still like entertaining. It's definitely, it's, if nothing else, it's entertaining, you know? Yeah. So it's good. The character of Melanie, uh, Emily, Allen Lind. I mean, she is, she's hamming it up all over the shop, but. And any other film, I'd be like, God, tone it down. But it works, like same as Bella Thorne. And, yeah. Ooh, and, Ki- and, um, and King Back as well as John. Any other film, I'd be like, this is just like, oh, what film are you in? But collectively, it it works. And as a, fa- as a fan, quote unquote, of the first film, I really enjoyed the first film. I didn't expect there to be a sequel for that film. Do you think we're going to get a Babysitter 3, mate, dude? Um, I would say no. Mm-hmm. I would. I, I honestly would hope no. Um, and kind of like what I when I heard there was a sequel, I kind of expected it to be like Cole, like helping someone else who was being like harassed by a babysitter, having very little knowledge of the first one when I first heard about the sequel. But um, and I think they could go that route where maybe now he like looks to help other people who are being tortured by uh like satanic cults or something. Like maybe he takes it on himself. Um, I do want to, I want to give a shot to, uh, I tend to like, um, where is he? Is it Rob? It's Rob Riggle, right? Yes. I'm not seeing him on the letterbox credits. That's weird. Um, I, I really like him in a lot of things, but I actually really like him as the dad in this, in both of the movies. I thought his kind of like role as the dad was funny and he got a lot more to do in this movie. Um, which was surprising, but there's some, like some of the funny scenes in this film, I think are him and the, and, um, the other girl's dad, uh, Melanie's dad, who I don't know who that is. Uh, he's somebody I recognize, but I didn't quite place like, Oh, it was uh, Chris Wilde. Who it is kind of thing. Okay, man. I don't see either of them. Oh, there is Chris Wilde. Oh, Ken, it's Ken Marino. It's not Rob Riggle. See, ah, I always do that. Um, 
There you go. Ken Marino, Ken Marino is, is uh, Cole's um, dad. Those two guys, I I often mix up who's which one's which. Um, Rod Riggle and Ken. But yeah, I like Ken Marino a lot in this, and him and Chris Wilde I think have some of the funniest scenes. Um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, but yeah, um, overall, it's it's if you like the first one, I think there's stuff here. It's definitely not going to be as good, but it it'll it'll satisfy maybe a couple of itches you might have had, and it's still it's still entertaining. And uh, like Matt said, a lot of the big performances are I think they just work. I think they like. Even though they're a little over the top, I think they work in the uh, the atmosphere and the vibe of the movie. So, yeah, well, not bad. I got news for you, uh, John. If the fans like the babysitter killer queen, McGee has said he's already written the third film and he's ready to oh. do it. If people like it, he said we'll give it to them. It's there. He's got a story. the 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 trilogy could this be one of the greatest trilogies of all time? Probably not. No, but no. there there is a chance of a third film. Um, it obviously depends on as well so let's let's see how that goes but do you know what i'm gonna put it out there now on the bamp releasing 17th of september 2020 give me a third one come on i I love this mindless (laughs) horror comedy Uh, not because i need closure but also i mean the third one let's face it it probably will be rubbish given let's let's be real though if we're getting a kissing booth three which we've been told they've already filmed four hours long i would I would much rather have a babysitter, like, I don't know. Oh, how about a crossover? Babysitter gets the kissing booth. Like, we, Cole is tired of hearing about this other movie. He goes after them, finds out that Joey King's actually in a satanic cult. That's why everybody uh, fell for the kissing booth twice. And, you know, he he gets, he puts his uh, ash on, you know? Ooh, make Babysitter 3, like, Army, Army of Darkness, you know, where it's completely different, he gets sent back in time, let's do it. Yeah, let's, I love these ideas. Let's go full-on horror, man, and let's let's make it so the Kissing Booth films now take on a different edge, where, actually, with this ironic slant, they're masterpieces. I don't know, let's just try and give Jerry King a hit or something, come on, please. And, and let's do it. if we're listening, whoever you did, whoever it was who made the Babysitter, and the um, Kissing Booth, please don't make it two and a half hours long or anything stupid like that. We we always end up going back to those films because they seem to have left this like indelible scar on our movie going minds. But for Christ's sake, please don't make it to, uh, anything over an hour and a half. Because what works for the babysitter movies is they they're comfortably snuggled up around the uh, ninety minutes to a hundred minute mark, which for these films is is right. I mean, even a hundred minutes is pushing it, but ninety minutes is spot on for these kind of films to be able to get from Act One, Two, Three, get your Get your OT till key kills in. Get your laughs in. It worked. So, is this is this a great horror comedy film? No, but is it a, a lot of fun? God damn right it is. And with that, I think uh, the conclusion is we both say yeah, it's entertaining, and that's what this movie's trying to do. So, good job. Well, let's move into our chuffed headlines. These are movie or pop culture news that caught our attention since the last time we recorded. Matt, why don't you go first? What grabbed your attention this week? Well, there's a few things that came out in the last seven days since we recorded the uh, last episode on Bill and Ted. Um, but I've gone for, with something which happened mere hours ago in the uh, in the pop culture zeitgeist. It's everyone's favourite gunslinger from the galaxy far, far away. The Mandalorian season two trailer dropped uh, today. Um, Star Wars and Lucasfilm dropped it officially now. They dropped the first look at Entertainment Weekly a few days ago. And now we've got our trailer, uh, to a one hour, one minute, 50, which it was an hour, one minute, 50 seconds of just pure 
Mando Bliss. I, had a, I thought this was a good trailer, and I, I say that with all, all like, bias gone. It was a good teaser trailer that gave nothing away for the story, but still got my excitement up. Was it a good t- trailer for those who have no idea about what the Mandalorian is? Uh, maybe, maybe not. You, does it give any hints as to where the story's going? Maybe, maybe not. It, obviously, we, we find out more that he's got to hand over the child, or they got to go and find Jedi, who are all wiped out at this point, apart from Luke Skywalker and obviously Ahsoka Tano now. But um, I thought it was a good trailer, mate. It got, I was I was pumped for it. I thought it, had, it looked good, had some good scenes in it. This is the way it, we saw Baby Yoda again in the snow when we saw him. He had the funniest mm. moment of the trailer. Yes, I think it was. A, I think it was an effective trailer for. Again, it, uh, it's not just the fans because the Mando managed to, managed to get fans who weren't actively into the Star Wars films. Lots of people liked it who weren't necessarily into the films. So it kind of goes past the point now of saying, well, this trailer needs to be marketed for more than just Star Wars fans because they have done. Star Wars fans are going to dig this trailer. And from what I'm seeing online, they have, apart from the whiners who didn't get to see Ahsoka or Boba Fett. They weren't, you know, uh, but I think this is a good trailer for everyone. But um, I'm interested in what you think, because I know you uh, you wore some special garments when you watched it. Ah, Well, I... Um, was very excited to hear that it dropped and immediately uh, watched it and sent it to everyone I, I could. Um, I don't always care for trailers. And even one of my uh, my graduates was like, I don't need to see the trailer because I'm going to watch it. I'm like, yeah, but but the child. Exactly. And, um, that's, you know, for me, that's I, I just wanted to see more Baby Yoda. And I, I did, I, my wife got me a Baby Yoda, like, beanie or a knit cap that actually flips down and is a mask. Um, so uh, I... I very much um, am excited for the new series. I think the trailer is great. Uh, th- like you said, um, the child has the, the the humor in it, and it, it just made me even more like I'm just like, dang you, Disney! As if you don't get enough of my money from the MCU, now I got to give you money for Baby Yoda merchandise, which I have way too much of already. Well, so you, um, you've done that enough, haven't you? <laughs> yeah, but it's it's like I'm like they have a direct line to my wallet now, and this. Uh, the trailer proves it because I'm I'm stoked. I can't wait till October 30th um, to to get to watch season two. It's one of it's going to probably be the highlight of 2020, which is a shame that yeah. any TV show or movie is going to be the highlight of a whole year. But I can't imagine, given all of the craziness of this year, that uh, anything will top it at the moment. So, yeah. regarding the crap that's going on in the world now, very serious crap. It, to, to say that any TV show or film is going to be the savior of 2020 is uh, a bit depressing, but I'm not going to lie. When I watched this trailer today, I feel fist bump in the air. Like, yes, this is the way. This is definitely the way. I felt good for the first time mm-hmm. in, I don't want to say a long time, but do you know what I mean? About this kind of thing. With everything going in the world, is it's been good news, but just seeing this is like, yes, this is a reaffirms everything great about the world. We've got six weeks to wait. John, and myself can both sit down and watch it on Disney Plus on the same day. Uh, and I know other many other international territories are getting it on October the 30th. Great. We're not going to have the same um, crapshoot that we had for the first season. I am obviously all in, but saying that the trailer could have been rubbish. Thankfully, it wasn't. So I'm glad to hear that you were a fan as well, big man. Yep, I'm excited. Um, what did you have in your uh, headline? Um, mine worked in a weird way because the Academy Awards made a big announcement that uh, in an effort to make um, at least the Best Picture nomination uh, more inclusive, they're adding a bunch of requirements in order for a movie to qualify. 
Um, so I'm looking at this article from CNN.com, um, and according to it, it should start with the uh, 2000 and, uh, 2024 awards. Films must meet at least two of four benchmarks. They include featuring actors from un- underrepresented groups in significant roles or accounting for at least 30% of the cast. Similar criteria in terms of those working on the film behind the scenes, a significant commitment to paid apprenticeships, internships, and career development, and significant representation among teams devoted to marketing, publicity, and distribution. Um it's this is getting a lot of different feedback from the mm-hmm. industry one there's anytime you have like requirements to qualify for something people get up in arms about it of course that's we're able to start to get inclusion by requiring it and then hopefully it just becomes the way uh as opposed to it being not the way because right now if you're you know not included well it's hard to get included so um of course the other catch is that like well there is this prestige to the Academy Awards. Really, they shouldn't mean anything, and so it shouldn't make a studio change. However, uh, getting a nomination is an honor, and a lot of people do want that. And obviously, there's a big uh, bump, usually for Best Picture winners. In it the, looks with, good on the uh, box office it? resurgence. And yeah, it, it sells. It sells. So obviously, there there will be some change, and that's some of the criticism is that it's only applying to the Best Picture category. So uh, like, you could still potentially win Best Director. Um, or like best performance and your movie not be nominated simply because you didn't meet the inclusion and or you were nominated even though you didn't meet the inclusion, depending on how you want to look at it. Uh, that That's one of the criticisms. It's like, well, you're trying to do something. Why are you making it only for one category and not encouraging inclusion throughout all of the categories? Um, but it's still considering what just five years ago, the Oscar so white was a hashtag um, and we're, we're still seeing, you know, a trend with them trying to figure out how to diversify. Um, I guess their heart's in the right place. So it's big news. Um, it, well, it is big news, it's, but it's huge news. And I'm, I'm torn on the idea of it because on one hand, good, but good. Let's get more diversity across the board. You know, let's get different cultures, different backgrounds, different orientations, agenda, whatever it might be. Let's fill up the damn board with it. So then everybody everybody has their finger in the pie. The stories have a different flavour and a different feel to them. And let's face it, they probably feel a lot more genuine at times as well. I'm all for that. My only problem is, you know what studios are like? They're not always honest and they like to fiddle the books somewhat. One of the, I mean, one of the criteria or some of the criteria basically is um, you can have some interns working for you that aren't white, basically. And that means you qualify. So yeah. I'm just worried now that studios will just be like, well, rather than rather than putting them in front of the camera, which is kind of part of the idea of this, let's just let's just hire people behind the scenes, not to denigrate what they do, not to diminish their work. But you, there, there may be a case if we don't see any change in in front of the camera, because studios are taking advantage of the other criteria, which allows them to get in by by having um, like yeah, like paid interns. Um, from varying backgrounds or um, some of like the the high level board members is one of them I believe that that worries me that behind the scenes great it's you know of course it's a start and it's what we need but it doesn't help in front of the camera necessarily and certainly not in the short term Um, because when I first read it I assumed it was cast only it was like do you know what I mean if you want to get if you want to be um, uh, up for one of these awards you ha- it has to be in front of the camera. You have to we, people who are going to the cinema do not know who you've hired behind the scenes. We don't know who this sixteen-year-old 
in turn is you've just hired two checks, checks and boxes, basically. Um, that worries me that we're not going to see it translated onto the screen. Hopefully in time we will do, but it's a start and it's a good sign. So my fear is not that they've had to do it because I'm all for it. My yeah. worry is that studios themselves think, well, we're not going to change anything. We'll just, we'll do the easiest route possible. And some of yeah. the changes can, can be that you have to, some of your cast, like 25% or 30% of your cast members have to be from varying backgrounds, but that isn't, but I think you only have to get like 50, a couple of the two or four, two or four yeah. and of which two of them are your backroom team or something like that, which I feel like the studios might just look at that as like an easy win and event and nobody can question them because they'll be like, no, we, we did what was asked of us and the Academy didn't didn't force our hand. But if it leads into the long-term run that these people behind the scenes have a greater influence and in front of the camera we start to see more diversity across the board, then it's a big win. So I'm, I think it's a positive thing. I just hope that we don't see any kind of like evil machinations behind the scenes. Yeah, and of course, there's already a backlash um, with people like uh, making some valid arguments, but still, like, yeah, but it's easy to say that when you're a white person who's not being discriminated or, or not represented, like, uh, and again, like, because this is art and we want art to be crafted as the artist intends. However, if only white artists are getting money to make the movies, well, then, yeah. That's the that's the problem that we're trying to resolve is giving other people the opportunity to get to make their art, not just one group. And right now, it's hard to argue that that's not what's happening. Um, the, yes, there is a influx of minority filmmakers starting to get opportunities, whether we're talking women or um, different race or a combination of those two things. But uh, it's still underrepresented voices. And that's what the Academy Awards are trying to encourage. But like you said, they, they've given some pretty big loopholes um, to work around it. So it's not necessarily that we're going to, it's not like, uh, I don't know. I don't know how to fix it either, but like, I'd love to see more directors for the best, the you know, best director award, not just be five white guys, you know? Yeah. Um, and there is the obvious argument that, you can only pick what's in front of you. That if, if the five best films of the year, I know it's all subjective. Let's get that out of the way yeah. now. If you know the majority think that those were the five best, and it just happens to be five white males, then okay, fine. But I think the problem is not enough people from varying backgrounds are given the chance to are given the damn chance in the first place. We see people or like Jordan like their Peele movies coming yeah, out, and he's killing it. We see we've obviously got Nia Da Costa, who's uh, now Candyman's been bumped to next year, which is a shame. Um, Ava DuVernay and, and 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 to name a few, but, but you, you're not seeing enough, and that's and that's in my mind. When we start getting into the LGBTQ, not enough people who are yeah, given a chance. No. No, I mean, in the, the, those characters are given to straight white men or female to then play those characters, and I know that acting is becoming someone else, but why not give somebody the chance to do it who actually has gone through it? The, people, you know, that different. Everybody needs to be given a chance here, and. The reason why there are so many white males up for these awards is because nobody else gets a bloody look in. And that is not me, you know, sitting on my SJW horse or anything like that. It's just the facts is that, you know, I, for whatever reason, and some of them are bad, like, you know, people don't want to, don't want to try because I don't feel there's a modicum of success for them there. But if we can just get those doors open and give everybody the damn chance, because what, there's nothing wrong with giving everyone a chance, then, yeah. I, I mean, just, oh man, like, you know, like well, Barry I mean, Jenkins, think, Moonlight, and the thing, and um, mm-hmm. if Bill Street could talk, 
sorry to j- jump in there. But oh, that the, movie's so good. Oh, no, maybe, yeah. Just like, imagine giving that film to somebody else who may not have had the experiences. It doesn't work quite as well. But so, and that's what I mean. Let's just give people a chance, and you'll soon see that the, there are great films out there to be made by people who have lived through these. I I would love to see a lot more of the return of like the low budget dramas and the and not yeah not the indie like where it's just like you know let's hear some stories let's it doesn't always have to be super dramatic or meet all these criteria and then again too like when you look at the the ninety three year history of the Academy Awards there's one female director that's won an award Catherine Bigelow is the yeah. only director um and for a if she had to make a, a war movie which oh, the war movies kind of and it's a great movie not not bashing the hurt locker but like that's one of those like the when there's a really good war movie it's often gonna sweep the oscars right like that mm, yeah. it happens a lot um so it's you know it's one of those type of movies where it's like how do you not give it to like the patriot kind of thing you know um but yeah it's just there's room for improvement and i'm i'm glad they're trying i don't know if this is the best try but it's at least a try so yeah you gotta take what we can get yeah, I'd never knock anyone for trying. And we, you never know. Maybe studios will take this and run with it. And we do get that much needed diversity uh, in front of the camera. That's that's all most people want. And obviously there are naysayers out there, but you know that's for them to worry their lives about. If we can get it start getting it in front of the camera, then I'm all for that. So anything, any any little steps are good steps for me. Right. Well, that's Shoft Headlines. We're going to look at what media we've been consuming since our last episode. And these are movies, TV shows, po- video games, podcasts, etc. Anything we use to pass the time um, in between episodes. So, Matt, what have you been consuming, sir? Um, I have been consuming a few bits this week. In the in the very uh, recent times, i.e. the last two evenings, I was scrolling through Spotify and thinking, I want to listen to a podcast. Do you know? I don't know if you just get it. We just sit there and think... Oh, I'm sitting here doing nothing. I, could, I, do, I want to find a podcast, listen to something which I don't usually listen to, maybe, uh, and something which isn't too long either. And I'm scrolling through Spotify, and it, and it comes up with um, Spotify originals, and one of them was called Conspiracy Theories. Now, I was like, this is very much a bit of me. Not that I am a, an anarchist or rebellious or a, a conspiracy theorist myself, but I would be lying if I said I didn't enjoy a good, juicy conspiracy theory, even though you can... Um, discount most of them just by clicking your fingers. But I was like, I'm gonna, you know what? I'm going to give these a listen. And then I realised there's about a million episodes. I was like, this is incredible for like everything you can imagine. The obvious ones and ones I've never heard of. So I tuned in. I was like, well, I've heard the conspiracy of Kurt Cobain's murder, quote, quote unquote, many times. Let's see what these guys have to say about it. And I was sucked in again. I was like, yep, yeah, Courtney Love had him killed. She paid El Duche, or his name was, 50 grand, and he got hit by a train. I mean, then there was ones about the Titanic and things like that. And Again, most of them are absolute hoopla, but I do enjoy a good conspiracy theory just just for the because it's almost like a it's like a uh, it's like a fun screenplay. It's like imagine putting this to screen and how would it play out? It's like an alternative what if timeline. So conspiracy theory pods. I've been listening to that in the last few days. Um, I have been catching up with the football soccer for John. I know he has too. The English Premier League came back this weekend. It gave me something to watch from three o'clock till four forty-five on a Saturday, so I've been watching that. Southampton did well; we lost one nil, 
but it's okay. It's not the end of the world. I didn't smash up my hometown because we yeah. lost. But um, so good to see that back because it gives me something to watch in the background as well. Whilst whilst the kids are doing my heading, but now they're back at school, so it's great. So I have time during the day. But chuck the football on the soccer and um, set myself drift into eleven twenty two millionaires kicking a bit of leather around um, for a couple of hours. And in terms of films, I watched a film called One Br recently. It was debuted at Fantasia Fest last year, twenty nineteen, and it was it's been set in the horror world of Blaze this year. It's in like the top twenty or top ten horror movies for Rotten Tomatoes, Variety, The Hollywood Reporter, things like that. And I got an email in the old inbox um, about two weeks ago from one of the writers in this film or producers uh, who said, you know, would you like to, would you like to watch this film? And then a week or two went past and I still had a message unread in my inbox and I realized I'd com- I completely overlooked it. Um, and I was like, ah, so I quickly went, yes, please. I would love to watch your film because I've, I've heard an awful lot about this and it's called one BR or in the, in the United Kingdom, it's called something like apartment one BR or something like that. Um, and it's on Netflix internationally. I watched the screener link, but it is on Netflix in the States, I believe. And and basically it is about a woman who's moved to Los Angeles for want of a better life. She moves into a an apartment block and it, it's not quite as it seems, but like that. That's all I'll say about the film. And I enjoyed it. It was a very good film. The the producer was called Alok Mishra, so shout out to Alok Mishra. Um it's a it's a good film. It's a really quite decent, atmospheric, suspenseful uh, horror movie. And if you get a chance to watch it, I would say absolutely do watch it. It's called One Br in the United States, uh, or it's called Apartment One Br in the United Kingdom. I don't know when it comes out in the United Kingdom. Apparently, it came out three months ago, but it hasn't. But I know it's out there in the states because I've seen people talking about it. There's one scene that if you're an yeah. animal lover, whew, good luck with that. But um, so one BR, and I've also been catching up on the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle films for uh, Moving Picture Madness. That's what we're doing this week. We're talking about the Turtles, which were my first love as a child, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, or as they were called over here for some reason, Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles, because Margaret Thatcher's government thought that the connotations of ninja meant violence and bad stuff. So, yeah, it's called the, so the TMNT. I've been watching all the films from the original back in 1990, up until the new one, Out of the Shadows. And I'm also going to watch, tomorrow I'm going to watch Batman versus the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles as well, which Ooh, is an animated that. film, which is 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's getting a really good buzz about it. So I'll check that out. But I've been watching those films in their varying levels of success. So, um, m- mostly I hold massive nostalgia for the original ones. The new ones, not quite so much. Um, the new ones, they're fine, I think, but... You can tell Michael Bay's involved when the first one, the only thing I can remember is there's a lingering shot of Megan Fox's backside and bloke next to us just staring, saying, yeah, keep doing that. And in the second film, they find any excuse possible to get dressed up as a schoolgirl. I was like, ah. But the films themselves are fine. It really made me want pizza. And, you know, it reminded me of being a kid again, which is what is, in these times, sometimes it's nice for that nostalgic pang to make you feel good. So Teenage Turtle films, um, before we move on, John, those films, did, are you a Turtles fan? Uh, Were you a Turtles fan growing up? I am, have been. Uh, it, I've always loved the Ninja Turtles. Um, in fact, there is a 
current series, I think it's either just come out or it's coming out very soon, um, that I'm very intrigued by for the comic books. It's called uh, Ronin. Yeah. And um, one of the turtles is alive and has taken the weapons of the other three turtles. We don't know which turtle is still alive, though. So that's the interesting part, uh, like the mystery of it. But yeah, I, I'm a I'm a big fan. I actually um, I really like the first Michael Bay produced turtle movie. Um, I don't think it's perfect, but I like the rehash of the characters, and I love the elevator scene <laughs> so I much. Did, um, I did laugh a lot of that. I preferred the second one, but I did that elevator scene. I was like, that that is it's one of those jokes where you've seen it done before, but when it works well, it's quite funny. Yeah, and the second one, I really love that we finally got to see Bebop and Rocksteady mm-hmm. on the big screen because they were always left out of the original movies. Um, I hate Turtles in Time, um, which I believe is what the third one is called uh, from the original group. Yeah. I love the first two. The first one is definitely better. I love how serious the first mm-hmm. one is. Um, and then the second one goes a little more cartoonish, but I'm okay with that because I still enjoyed it. I love the original cartoon series. Uh, and the cartoon series does go off the rails at some point, and then every reiteration of the cartoon seems to just not be the right tone. Like for everyone I've caught, I haven't seen all of them. There's a new one now. I think they added a female turtle, so that's cool that they're you know adding. They things. had a female um, turtle in the mid '90s called Venus, Venus de Milo, and one of the creators, I think it's Peter Laird, absolutely hated the idea. And he always said, you know, the idea of a female turtle is quote unquote disgusting. I never want to see one. So they they vetoed it. He wouldn't let it, he wouldn't have it whatsoever. Not to say that's not a slight in his character. He just didn't agree with it. And that and the fans obviously didn't like it either because that, that particular show ran for what, one season and that was it. It was very much a continuation of the first three films. And it was even like produced in that style with the live action. But that, yeah, and then the new ones, I can't I think someone like Jenna, I think her name is. But from the comics, they've brought her into live action and that seems to be slightly better received. So I don't know if that's a sign of the times or not, but um, that is there's like the second ninja female turtle after April O'Neil who morphed into a turtle once and then quickly morphed back again. Yeah, I'm definitely, I would definitely say I'm a fan, especially again of those first two movies. Um, and there was the the animated film that is, um, they did, the, I think it's just TMNT. Yeah, 2008 um, or something like that. With, yeah, with Johnny Knoxville, I think is the voice of Leo. Um, and yeah, that one's not bad. I, I've only I've seen it maybe twice. I didn't. There's some characters in it that I was not familiar with. And I'm just like, I guess. But um, I used to have a lot of the action figures. Like I had the blimp, yeah, and the, the party wagon. Like, uh, so yeah, it, it was probably my biggest franchise as a kid. That like I had, like I had random toys of other stuff, but I had like all the toys of Ninja Turtles. Like those, that was my like go to uh, action figure, and, stuff. and that's why we're the Kingsman and the Statesman because I was exactly the same. I have pictures of me on Christmas morning holding the bloody blimp. I found it um, decked out in the toys. I've still got some of the old toys back at my parents' house back home in Woking. Um, like some of the toys, some of the cuddly toys, like the like the fifth anniversary like fake gold Leonardo statue. Oh, I've man. got the man. I I I, mean, I had uh, vanilla rice ice ice um, turtle song on vinyl. Um, oh mate, I it it was my one big love. And going back to watch them, just for, it took me back as being again. And I've been checking out the the old animated series and some of the new ones and the comics as well, where I can find them um, out and about. And yeah. it's been a good fun, man. The comics are something I still haven't really gotten into. Not like I've I just I didn't have them when I was a kid. Obviously, I, my first introduction was the cartoon. And then um, 
I've been meaning to really like dive into the books and I just haven't, I've read a few of the first like couple of issues that I was able to get digitally, but yeah, I mean, I liked, I like what I've read. I just, I haven't read enough and I really, I really want to, I just feel like it would be a book that I would click with a lot, but, um, Sweet. I have been consuming. Oh, go ahead. No, no, I was going to say, no, good. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Uh, you're still a turtle fan at heart. Oh yeah. Big time. And like, again, uh, even I had issues with the other two movies, but at the same time, it was still like the turtle. So I was still like down. Um, so I've been consuming, uh, I, as normal, I am a big fan of the blank check podcast. I give them a big shout out way too often, probably, but they started the Robert Zemeckis, uh, series. Um, and I learned a couple of things. One, I've seen almost all of Robert Zemeckis's films and didn't realize it. Um, like <laughs> I knew a lot of them, but like, it was not like some filmmakers, like I actively sought out to watch all of their films, right? Like that was my goal. Like I'm going to watch all of these films. And then, um, it turns out that Robert Zemeckis and I just, uh, I don't like all of his films, but, um, I love the back to the future trilogy. I'm a big fan of who Framed Roger rabbit. And so I've seen a lot, but I had not seen his first three films. So I watched those, uh, because of blank check and, um, they're great. I don't know if you've seen any of the ones I'm about to list here, but they are really, really good. So I want to hold your hand. Thank you, John. Um, not easy to get. It's on Criterion, though. So it, it is easy to get, but it's it's not cheap mm-hmm. because it's Criterion. I have seen that. But I, I was able to get a DVD copy for eight bucks, which is not of Criterion, just the original like DVD print, and it's um it's really great. It's super funny, um, and very charming, and it's got Beatles music like crazy. Uh, the Beatles themselves are not in it, but there is like, like they're there, but they're not like on screen because they didn't want to break the illusion of it kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. Um, but uh, man, it, it's really good. It's very funny. Um, and then Used Cars, which was Kurt Russell's apparent, like pretty much his first uh, adult film that wasn't like a kid movie because you know, he was doing a lot of Disney stuff for a long time. That's right. Um, dude, Used Cars is, it. it's one of, it's kind of like Meatballs where I don't know if it holds up completely because of like the sexual like there's some scenes with some women that is like wow that's that's not really okay now like yeah, to, yeah. to do this um it wasn't okay then but it, people wouldn't have thought about it like they do now kind of thing um but man it's really funny and kurt russell is just i'm just such a kurt russell fan like i i'm he's so great he's so cool isn't he right right he and yet he there's this like quality that he has that he just seems like a normal dude yeah, he seems like a nice good dude amongst, the, uh, amongst right. all of it yeah and so like those two things, cause he's like, you're, you're like, you're the coolest guy here and you don't seem to be aware of the fact that you're the coolest guy here. And that makes you even cooler. Like, like, I just want to be your friend and, uh, use cars. He's great. Um, and then one, uh, a classic that I'd never saw until now was romancing the stone. Um, which is, uh, Michael Douglas and Catherine. Oh man. It's right there on the tip. It's not Catherine Hepburn cause that's way too old. Um, Kathleen Turner. It's Kathleen Turner. Okay. And, uh, man, I, I really enjoyed that movie. Again, there's some, some of it doesn't hold up, uh, you know, time period wise, cause the dude's definitely misogynistic and stuff. But, um, I, I thought it was really great. Uh, good vibe. And, um, it's a good adventure movie and I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. So I was glad I, I checked. I've, I've only got two, uh, Zemeckis films that I've never seen. Um, Flight with Denzel Washington which I own but have not watched yet, and I'm, I'm going to before it gets to that episode. And then one that I probably won't watch, and mainly because I don't have it and I don't want to buy it, is uh, Beowulf. Yeah, uh, Ray Winston. Yeah. Yeah, and the uh, the mocap that 
Zemeckis gets really hung mm-hmm. up on for a few years there. Um, you know, he does that. He does uh, Polar Express, which I actually do like. I do think it's a little, you know, uh, what is the um, the valley thing? I Uncanny can't Valley. Term. Uncanny Valley. It's very, it's very weird and, and surreal. But I, I like Polar Express. We watch it every year for Christmas, um, and I love the hot chocolate song. And then yes. uh, the Jim Carrey's Christmas Carol. Uh, well, it's not his christmas girl but you know he's the he plays like every character but it's all mocap and then they kind of take the mocap into marwin which is what a disaster um, <laughs> nothing could have saved that. and he's supposed to have a movie coming out this year that might be delayed called witches with anne hathaway that i'm kind of intrigued by so is is that the remake of the witches i don't know for sure because i never saw that one um mm. but i think it might be yeah, that was I. I can't even remember who did the blood. I think it is. Yeah, the witch, uh, the witches, Robert Zemeckis. Um, that was the Roald Dahl uh, book, and this is written by Zemeckis, oh. Guillermo del Toro, and Kenya Barris. So it's got um, it's got some talent wow. behind it, and Octavia Spencer, Anne Hathaway, Queen Hathaway, Stanley Tucci's on board with it. So I like that Ooh. first film. It's dark, um, but touch of the Tucci. Yeah, the, everybody needs a touch Sorry. of the Tucci. Right, that's a blank check reference. Um, so, uh, but so I've been watching those, and then um, I, I had I had to. Uh, I've been watching um, the Legend of Korra on Netflix, which is the sequel to the Avatar: the Last Airbender, which I'm a big fan of that show. I've never seen Korra. Uh, there's definitely some issues with Korra. I think uh, you can notice the writing problems, but it's very good. Uh, I'm, I'm halfway through season two. Um, then uh, for my film classes, I have three different film classes all starting a movie this week. Uh, one is watching Shane, one is watching Invasion of the Body Snatchers, and one is watching Hail Caesar. And so I had to watch the first third of each of those to come up with the viewing guide that I have them because they're doing it all online right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I need to make sure that they're staying up. And then uh, I'm since we're not watching it together as a class, I am chunking it. So like you only have to watch 40 minutes before our next class, and then I need you to be able to talk about this these topics basically so i have to come up with like some questions so i've watched those uh in in parts and then uh i played a little bit of video games very very like i i don't have time for story games right now i only have time to like hop on a game for maybe 20 minutes to like wind down and then get off uh so tony hawk pro skater one and two i think i mentioned last week i got and i'm having such a blast uh i'm actually better at it now than i ever was when it first came out like i'm i'm it took a minute i wasn't doing very well but yeah and you know still um (laughs) But then uh, Dead by Daylight. Matt, have you heard of this Never game? Heard I of think it. you would love it. Uh, just just the title okay. sounds cool. So here's how it works. It's a multiplayer-only game, right? Um, and you're either a survivor, so one of, like, four people uh, trying to escape a, a killer, or you play the killer who's trying to get the four survivors. Okay, I mean... <laughs> I mean. Right. Well, here's where you're going to get even more in. So the default, the stuff that you get with the game, it's only like a $20 game or so, and it's probably included with uh, some pass of some kind. It might be on the PS Plus pass. But um, but uh, there's all these expansions where you get to add things that we love. Like, as of now, there is a Halloween expansion where you can get Mike Myers and Laurie Strode as one of the survivors. There is a Nightmare on Elm Street version where you get Freddy as your, your killer. Um, there is a Texas Chainsaw Massacre one. Uh, there is, you can get Ash as a survivor character, um, from Evil Dead. You can get, uh, the, the Ghostface from Scream. Um, and then those are just like, uh, some of those add levels and add game modes. So there's a Saw one that adds a game mode where like, uh, the Saw killer, 
puts a trap on your head. So now in order to escape, you have to first get the trap taken off your head by doing puzzles and stuff. Um, it's not a shooter. So like you're not, if you're a survivor, you're trying to start a generator so that you can escape. The generators open a door that lets you get out of the, the death mm-hmm. trap that you're in. And the killer is trying to get all four of the people before they, they can escape. Um, so it's, it's, it's tense. It's funny. Each killer is very unique on how they, like how they can move. Um, and you're like, you have to be stealthy, but you also have to get things done. Cause if you, the longer you wait, the more likely you're going to get caught kind of thing. Um, it's, it's insanely fun, especially if you find some friends that are playing it. And now, uh, I actually, this game's old. It's been out for a couple of years, but it's had a resurgence because they just did crossplay. So now no matter what system you're on, you can oh, play sweet. together. So even though you're a PS4 guy and I have, I have it, but I have it on Xbox, but we could play together anyway. So, um, a lot of fun. Uh, one of my friends start, got back into it and I, I played with them this weekend and had a blast. Um, it's, it is intense, but, uh, there is a stranger things, uh, DLC. And, um, you get a uh, Demogorgon as the killer and you get, um, Steve and I think it's Steve and the girl. I can't think of the girl's name right now, but, um, as, as playable survivors. And then, uh, I just bought the silent Hill <laughs> one, um, because there, there, there was a sale and you get pyramid head and then the girl from silent Hill yeah. too, I think as your survivor. And I'm like, yeah. Uh, but I've, I've, when I played the other day, I just used Ash the whole time. Cause I'm like, it's Ash. How do I, how do I not use Ash? That sounds uh, like that game sounds he's like one of my favorites. <laughs> it does. Yeah, you definitely check out the videos before you make the purchase. But yeah, I and think if we can play it, it together, like I said, it's a date. We'll find time. We'll, I'll stay up till 3 a.m. to play this. Right. Word. And weekends are doable. So, you know, we we'll make go. it happen. Um, all right. Exclusive. That's what we've been consuming. But in order to do this podcast every week, we have to make a special effort to, you know, stay bloody awesome so matt what have you been doing to stay bloody awesome this week smoothies smoothies eh yeah smoothies Smoothies. um i have been uh we say every week and a lot of a lot of our bloody awesome routine revolves around food exercise not all of them but sometimes they do because unfortunately in this covid lockdown quarantine dystopian bampocalypse state that we live in there isn't really much else to do apart from like, well, I've got time on my hands. I might as well look after myself. So uh, that's uh, eventually when I get a job, I'll probably get fat again. Then I'll have much more interesting ones. But smoothies, went to the shop, got as much fruit as I could get and uh, fruit juice to make smoothies. And I've been living off them now. It's literally like my lunch, breakfast and lunch is some sort of fruit smoothie and something more substantial for a dinner. But I've, I've loved sm- a fruit anyway. I don't tell people this enough. And the reason I tell people is I hope whenever they see me, they just buy me some fruit. I could literally eat fruit all day, every day. It makes me feel good. I don't know why the idea of sitting there with a massive fruit salad, I don't know, mango, apple, pineapple, cherries, kiwi, lychees, guava. Oh God, mango. I probably said that. Melons. Chuck all that in. Any day of the week, I'll have that over pretty much most things. I know, I was making, but then put that into a, blend that up into a drink, which I can, don't even have to have any effort to lift my arm to eat it even better plus obviously all the good stuff you get out of it so in terms of staying bloody awesome i'm having some bloody awesome smoothies that's what i'm doing john what about yourself i bet you've got something um high high octane and energetic so i i probably unfortunately it's probably not the healthiest thing but i uh, a few months ago actually especially when the uh the 
quarantine happened, I got into the energy drink, um, the keto-friendly energy drink okay. craze of either the Bang Energy or the Rain Energy. Um, and I quickly decided I like the Rain flavors more, right? Right. And um, like Bang, they have some weird flavors. Like they're like Bang has some really gross flavors. Like never try Miami Cola. It is not good. I don't know what's going on in Miami, but it is not okay. But um, like they have like a cotton candy one and things like that. And they're, they're sweet. And for someone who's not eating sweets, it was a nice treat to have, right? Like it was like a liquid and it, it gave me the energy I needed for like working out and like you know, on the quarantine, I really felt like I needed something extra. And I don't drink, I drink a lot of coffee, but mostly I drink decaf. So that became my like one caffeinated thing. I would drink like this energy drink in the morning or whatever, when I, right before my workout. And then I started drinking rain, which I thought were much better, still sweet. Like they have this orange dreamsicle one that is like an orange creamsicle, like popsicle. It is so good. It is like perfect. And I don't I think the best bang one is that they have a birthday cake flavor that tastes like, like the yellow cake with like chocolate icing. And that's what it tastes like. And it's, it's what delicious. Birthday cake flavor things taste like, cause you can get like birthday cake flavor ice creams. Um, sure. but I'm always a bit, uh, wary of trying it in case it is, in case it just tastes like pure sugar. Uh, it kind of does to a degree, but there is a, a distinctive like yellow cake taste. Um, but then, so, uh, rain has this other, brand called inferno they have three flavors of the inferno it's rain inferno three different flavors and one of them is jalapeno strawberry jesus and um when i first heard it i was like what but i've been i don't know if you know this but when i started losing weight um one of the things you have to kind of give up are sauces because like every sauce is just full of sugar and barbecue sauce ketchup it's it's so sugar packed and now they have all these like you can get like keto friendly sauces so but they're a lot more money but I started relying on hot sauces because they had like no carbs and almost no calories, mm-hmm. right? So I, I went over the last years, I've gotten where I really like spicy stuff. And jalapenos have become my like my staple on everything. I love jalapeno everything. And um, this jalapeno flavored drink is now like my favorite thing in the world. Like I, I don't even taste the what strawberry. It's jalapeno strawberry. <laughs> And I don't taste the strawberry. All I taste is jalapeno, and I love it. It's it's carbonated. Um, I drink it in the morning, right before I run, especially. Um, and the Inferno is supposed to like boost your metabolism stuff. I don't know if it works. Feels like it works. Um, but I genuinely like. If it wasn't an energy drink, if this was just a, like a diet soda with this flavor, I would drink way too much of it because I love it. It is so dumb. But um, again, it's it's like ten calories for the can, and it's. Uh, it, it does give me the energy. I only drink one a day. If I, if I, if a day I was doing it every other day and now I think I'm at every day. Um, and it, instead of regular coffee, I do still drink decaf, but I, I'm, I'm currently avoiding regular coffee. If I have an energy drink, I don't drink regular coffee that day. Uh, generally speaking, that's my kind of, you know, protecting my heart a little bit, but, um, and I know they're not good, but man, I love the stupid drink. And I can't I, drink. Dude, I am, I am, I'm telling you, I have a problem with spice right well, now I because, to, I again, I've conditioned myself. I'd be remiss to not ask. I'm going to ask it anyway. Jalapeno drink. Some people say jalapenos can give you a uh, a dodgy stomach. Does the jalapeno energy drink give you a dodgy stomach? And you know where I'm going with that. I wouldn't say dodgy. I would say, though, that, you know, like there's coffees associated with like helping regular bowel movements. Yep. Um, it is the caffeine that does that, apparently, I think. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe caffeine is a dietary uh, – I know caffeine helps you, like, suppress your appetite, which is another reason I like the energy drink in the morning. Um, but uh, I, I will say that normally, like, I drink my energy drink, 
and then I have a regular bowel move, yeah. and then I go for a run. That seems to be the, the the correlation. So like I finish the energy drink, I'm like, okay, time to use the restroom. But it's a you know not not a dodgy thing. It's not like diarrhea for the next four hours kind of thing. But to be fair, jalapenos don't do that to me anyway. So um, and also some people say like you get you know you eat too much spicy food, you get a burning a burning uh ah. you know. A uh, brown eye, and uh, I've not experienced that, and I've eaten a lot of spices. Even when I did the uh, the, the hot ones yeah. challenge, yeah, I was fine. So um, not that it wasn't that. hot. John I said he looked like a king. He looked like a statesman doing it. Um, if it's available, still go check out John. Just smash hot spicy hot ones. Yeah, I think I, I think I saved them uh, to the highlights or something on on in the Instagram. So um, that's it for this episode, folks. We are at the end. Uh, next week, we're excited. Um, it's kind of weird because this is not meant to be a Netflix-supported show. We are not sponsored by Netflix. Yeah. But uh, suddenly, when we find ourselves in quarantine, and again, I uh, may be – I'm currently a potential carrier of the virus. And so I am being extra cautious um, and not going to the theater because I don't want to be the person to cause the thing everyone's worried about. But we're currently both not fully comfortable going to the theater just yet. And so uh, we've looked for streaming services. And because theaters are open, less new stuff is coming out on VOD. But Netflix is still getting their originals, and this one's kind of big to me. Um, It seems big because this cast is nuts, right? So we're going to be watching and reviewing The Devil All the Time on our next episode of BAMP, um, directed by Antonio Campos. Stars, though, listen to this cast, man. Tom Holland, Bill Skarsgård, Riley Keough, which she's probably the lesser known, but people who know her know how big that is because she's freaking great. And um, I just saw the reason I don't want to watch this movie, man. Freaking Jason Clark. Uh, yeah, Jason Clark's in the man. How does this you keep love happening? That guy, don't you? This guy? Like, I, oh man. But then we got Sebastian Stan, Haley Benet, who's the better Jennifer Dude. Lawrence, Eliza Scanlon, Mia Wachowski, Robert Pattinson. I mean, this cast is nuts. Like, <laughs> doesn't, doesn't always translate to a good film, but no. as a start of a 10, that ain't bad. Yeah, so uh, we're going to be reviewing this. It drops uh, the day after we're recording, actually. Um, But we'll be back uh, next week with our review of The Devil All the Time. Um, Until then, we ask that you follow us on social media. Matt, where can they find us on Twitter? At BAMP underscore podcast. At BAMP, B-A-M-P underscore podcast. And on the IG, we are Bloody Awesome Movie Pod. Um, That's Instagram for all you old folks who don't get the uh, hip lingo that I just dropped. Um, Facebook, of course, is where you actually hover oldies, and you can find us by searching Bloody Awesome Movie Podcast. Uh, individually, you can follow us. Matt, where can they see your work? Uh, you can go to whatiwatchtonight.co.uk and across all the social medias, uh, including Letterboxd. Just search for What I Watch Tonight, and you'll find me on there. And I'm at BurkeReviews.com, and you can find me on all those socials at BurkeReviews. Um, in the if you like what we're doing here, we ask that you take two seconds, give us a good rating, tell people to listen to us and how awesome you think we are or you know how awesome you think we could be if we had more people listening to us and we had money coming in to help us pay for the time that we're using. You know, mm-hmm. any of that stuff. Um, we would love all the opportunity. But no, we do appreciate you, listener. Thank you for taking the time to listen. We hope you enjoyed the show. And with that, we encourage you to keep watching movies. And stay bloody awesome. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. 
Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. Blood, 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 bl